0: Welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today, Rabbi Wilds speaks with Kosha Dills. Kosha Dills is a Brooklyn based rapper who has been channeling his Jewish identity through rap for the last 15 years. We hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did.
1: Okay, we are live. Welcome to the Wilds Cast. Thank you all for joining. I have the great honor of introducing uh, Kosha Dills, whose real name is Rami. Rami, what's your last name? Evanesh. Evanesh. It's a pleasure. Rami, yeah. So, so, Rami or Kosha Dills, as many of you know him as, is a Brooklyn based rapper. And uh, I think this is the first podcast I've ever had a rapper on. This is an honor. And a rapper who has performed already at MJE. Mm-hmm. And he's been channeling his Jewish identity through rap for the last 15 years. Um, Kosha Dills or Rami is a billboard charting artist. He has shared stages and festivals with everyone. From Macklemore and Matis Yahu to Kendrick Lamar to rap battles with the late DMX, um, a large part of Rami's focus is enhancing the pride of Jewish identity, which I absolutely love, and Israel in pop culture through what he calls user-friendly music. His most recent uh, viral videos come from performing as Moses, which is a great video, if you guys want to check that out, <laughs> yeah. uh, for his song Big Matza" in New York City. Which amassed him over a million views in the last couple of weeks, as well as being featured on TMZ, World Star and Complex. His latest album, Nobody Cares Except You, is available on all streaming sites. He also has a TEDx called Free Rap. Excuse me, Freestyle Rap Save My Life. Yeah. which speaks about the power of Freestyle and his experience as a recovering addict for 16 and a half years. That's incredible. So yeah. Rami, let's just I want to get a little background. Tell us a little about your background, where you come from. What inspired you to become a Jewish rapper? Um,
2: well, um, one, thanks for having me on a show. Uh, my background is Edison, New Jersey, born to two Israeli parents, two Israeli brothers. Mm. Um, came up in sports, soccer, played, and uh, wrestling. So wrestling is how I got a lot of my hustle and my hard work ethics from. I credit all that to just wrestling since the age of eight and to uh, Division one wrestling. Wow. And, um, yeah, so, you know, the Jewish aspect stuff came from, by the time I had gotten sober in 2004, um, that I was releasing music under the name Kosha Dills, and I wanted to come out as Kosha Dills, And I had changed it a few times. I didn't really want people to make fun of me. So it was originally Kosher Dill. Then it became KD Flow for about five, six years. Mm -hmm. Um, From like circa 98, like for 99 to 2004. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, my earliest recordings, my vinyl, it was, you know, me rapping as KD Flow, but I released it under the name Kosher Dills. And I was sort of just on the tip of me becoming you know, embracing my Jewishness. Um, yeah. So my first, I was incarcerated a few times. When I got sober, I must have been like about four months. I met uh, Modest Yahu's drummer named Jonah, mm-hmm. and he invited me to uh, connect with him. I connected with him. Modest Yahu brought me out of BB Kings in 2004. <laughs> and uh, It was the most Jews I ever saw in my life in one place on Christmas Day and uh yeah it was
1: sort of my introduction to the jewish world that was wow. that was a big one you know i mean you know it's interesting cuz uh, there are a lot of rappers who try to hide their judaism you clearly embrace it you just use that word especially by giving yourself uh you know the moniker kosher dills um what what is um what was the impetus and 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 is it connected to to um to staying sober is it connected to the incarceration, the years in prison you spell. Tell us a little about what is inspiring your rapping today and uh, how that's connected with the other parts of your life.
2: Um, it was interesting. Like, <clears throat> you know, I never really wanted to be Jewish until I saw other people. I didn't really want to. I'm not saying want to be Jewish, but like, uh, you know, when you're in – I was only in jail for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, So I don't want to give the uh, thing that people I spend years <laughs> in prison. Um
1: okay. I gotcha.
2: You know, but uh mentally I spent many years in a prison. Um gotcha. I would say when there were other people <clears throat> that were encouraging me to do more Jewish stuff that weren't Jewish, um, I seen people get out of like the pod and stuff If go they were going to meetings with a pastor or something, I demanded to see something that was like Jewish, you know, I was demanding to see a rabbi. And uh, you know. For what just only for like, sp- to spite, you know, um, <laughs> and, and then I realized that taking the name Koshy Dills was just really owning it. I was like, I want it to be different. And then also, you know, back then no rapper sounded alike. It wasn't cool to be like anyone else. So everyone mm-hmm. was finding their own identity that their own road. Now every rapper's little, this little, this There's actually like 8,000 little, whatever. <laughs> like if you look it's, it's actually proven on, uh, on um on like spotify um and i knew that i was like really distant from it and i said like oh if this like works out then i'll become like closer to my jewishness and i always had like this slight feeling about that um and i was just always really proud of you know being like the israeli american kid and, and like that was just like my pride in it you know um
1: did your did your parents send you to like jewish schools growing up or, or no, you didn't have that
0: All, yeah. all public
1: schools mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All public schools
2: and um you know he Hebrew day schools, and we just went to Israel in the summer, I had my bar mitzvah in Israel, and you know I, there wasn't a lot of Jewish kids in my in my public school there was like, a lot of Indians Pakistani, Asian black puerto Rican there was not a lot of Jews you know mm-hmm. outside of edison um so that was like a whole like for like for me like the real Jewish experience was going to Israel. And then the other, but which we didn't really consider it a Jewish experience, I just considered it Israeli. You know, that was my family. And then the other experience was, you know, meeting with Madis Yahu Um, And I had done Birthright, you know, when I was mm-hmm. that was like maybe six months before I got sober. It's like two thousand four. So you're gonna think that was at like the beginning of Birthright. They were sending kids to Israel. So now I went uh, with Madis Yahoo. Next thing you know. Um, you know, time passed, time passed. And then I, like around, you know, I started getting offered after I met him and then people were contacting me. Why don't you like go to these uh, H programs? I like went mm-hmm. to Shiva and you could live here for free and we'll pay you. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? there's all these programs, they like pay you to study and stuff. And I was like, sure. Cause like, I got sober. I didn't have no, I didn't have, I couldn't get a job. I was just like, you know, I was like delivering pizza, I was doing whatever I could, you know, and just trying to do the music. And then I started Referencing things that I was learning in like his earlier demos and stuff. And uh, underground rap was really big on, like, you know, uh, uh, on just very like Wu-Tang-esque kind of rap, swords, Torahs. I I don't know, just referencing words. There was like Mm -hmm. no context to it. But for me, the always context was like, rap about more Jewish stuff.
1: Like, (laughs) enter Jewish things into your songs where there are no Jewish people. That's awesome. And and did you study, did you spend time studying in Aish or any of these? Yeah, periods?
2: I did Aish. I did like some stuff in Jerusalem. I did some stuff in Passaic. I, I was there for like a month and I'm still friends with a lot of people from there, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, just went on to do a lot of bigger things. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was always doing these programs cause they were like, you know, come live in New York for a month for a hundred dollars. I don't know. It was like, it was crazy.
1: <laughs> we, was, we, 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 we outreach directors. We'll do anything to get new customers, you know, like, so. yeah,
2: yeah I, I mean, I just, I just figure I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. Like I'll just come out here and then I'll just, you know, do this and meet people and you know, for me, cause I was in the beginning years, it's like 2006, 2007, I was like on probation, like, you know, just on MySpace. MySpace was the thing then. I wasn't meeting, Jew- I was meeting Jewish people that knew me from the, you know, and then I had released a song with Modest Yahoo and um, this guy Sea Raised Walls on his album. And that was circa 2006. And that started getting out to the internet. And that was like my thing. And I was just sending it everywhere. And he sort of, once I started getting involved with Jewish organizations, People were like, yo, you should play at these places and, you know, and rap at the Israel Parade and rap here and rap there. And this started the uh, the beginning of
1: emailing and sending everything to everybody I knew, you know? That's awesome. Did you ever experience any anti-Semitism just being so vocally uh, Jewish, so visibly Jewish?
2: Yeah, well, I think anti-Semitism, it's an interesting concept because it exists in so many different forms, Right um specifically within music i mean there's a lot of one let's just say you know there's the, there's the basic stuff of like people just don't like first off rap there's just a lot of bitter people in rap music mm-hmm. under music it's like no one's making it and if you're getting it then it means that you're taking it away from me so you're dealing with that right you're dealing with people that are jealous then obviously jewish kids are able to be more scapegoat um i would say is their favoritism yeah um and then there was the israel stuff where i thought you know like hip-hop is very like rep where you are you know so i'm from new jersey i'm from israel like that's just what i would rap if i was from mexico and from los angeles i would rap about that if i was from sure and that's just what i learned so a, a lot of the you know in 2008 like a revolutionary rap was really big like freedom rap and and against the system and You know, um, and that sort of started the beginning of like the Palestine-Israel stuff. Mm -hmm. So that came into play. And, um, you know, I was always aligning myself with really credible street artists um, and rapping about um, Jewish things and just referencing things like Jerusalem um, and Ariel Sharon and... (laughs) I had a song from the Delphonics, which was I Love You, this Delphonics song, and called it I Love Jews. And um having my my like vision was like getting non-Jewish people to like sing all these songs, you know what I'm saying? Like that was the whole point. And <clears throat> the majority of the people that were, you know, against it were just you know, miseducated people. People that were super judgment, but it was very like left wing kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like very like you know revolutionary liberal stuff. And I don't even think it was called that then; it was just what it was, it was just in the hip hop world. And I experienced it for sure. And as it it morphed throughout different time, even I would say that within the Jewish people in themselves, um, definitely like were always telling me to change my name because it's too Jewish Mm -hmm. and a Jewish person. So like the insecurity of their own Jewishness was being bestowed upon to me. And i had these conversations over a year and and that infuriated infuriated Um, me. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, it's because this, because the perspective of the other people were like, well, Jews in the entertainment business. So you're favored. And then you're like, and then you go and meet these people and they're like, "No, no, 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 no and i'm talking like paul rosenberg for eminem's thing i'm talking like i'm talking like i remember people be like yo you'll love this guy he's jewish and i'll be like no no, no," you know and like right in front of my eyes i'm like yo it's paul rosenberg eminem's manager and this is your you know black twins act that you signed and they love me and i mean i had merch with like new jersey flags and israeli flags meshed together i mean i'm doing it so a lot i was just creating this stuff for life. i mean
1: i i've always thought it just seems to me as an outsider um, just watching this stuff, that rap could be such a bridge, that it could be such a bridge even to the left or to the right. Um, um it is, but you
2: know, people, the thing is, with anti-semitism, it's a very interesting concept, it's not as just open out as like racism or anti-Muslim. It's like it comes a lot of people, you know, it's 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 the hatred that people are most like least likely to call out, mm-hmm. and also. It's also like there's always a Jewish person that's in entertainment that is like just not so Jewish and is the one Jewish guy that's like not really, you know, they see someone else with like a lot like this. I'm like a Jewish, like it's the shtick, like the people that really love me aren't Jewish. That like really like me. And that makes other Jewish people like me more. That's interesting. Well, the thing is, it's like if
1: I mean, it's sad. It's kind of sad if you think about it, that we can't just, you know, fall in love with our own. We have to we have to kind of like get excited about someone because our non Jewish friends are excited.
2: Yahu was massive. We had because the Jewish people celebrated him and pushed him, but he became really it was really big when the pop culture accepted him. Right, he was, and then everyone else was like, "Whoa, well, everyone loves this Jewish guy," and now <laughs> it's even cooler. You know what I mean? You know,
1: I have this. You know, um, Rami, I have this in my own work that I can't really, as a rabbi, come out and say certain things, but if I bring someone else out of the faith, who's not Jewish, all of a sudden I can popularize that concept because it's not coming from a rabbi. It's not coming from someone they expect it to come from.
2: Yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a concept of the cosine, right? It's called a cosine. Like if Kanye West comes out and says, Koshy Dill is the most genius artist of all time. <laughs> every Jewish person that never talked to me is all of a sudden going to come out and all of a sudden, Oh, you know what I mean? You're like, I told you so. Um, and that's what's happening now with the Moses character, like that. I just did. In the yeah, story. I found some new thing because you know, it's interesting. It's like no one would want me to be completely successful, but if I dressed up as a character, you know, it's a concept of superhero, right? You know, there's some actors that are superheroes like Dave Bautista and guardians of the galaxy. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he wants to be known for his monologue of, you know, romance and stuff, but for now he's going to be the WWE champ and he's going to be a superhero part of this, you know, DC comics. And that's, because people are a fan of the comic. Yeah. And that's where yeah. you're going to become famous and then hopefully bring them over. And what happened recently was that, you know, I started dressing up in suits green tuxedos, blue tuxedos, red tuxedos. Um, and I drew up a, a bunny rabbi. I have, oh, even my rap, on Easter, I had a bunny rabbi. It was Khan. <laughs> okay. I mean, yes. paparazzi. Yeah. Gothamist. I mean, all these places covering it. And then the Moses thing, everyone shared it. All the cool people shared it. You couldn't stop it. And, you know, um but people like Moses, though. He's an interesting guy because, you know, he's related to everybody. And uh everyone wants to see Moses rap, you know?
1: Who doesn't want to see Moses rap in the street? T- totally. I love it. You, I've seen you also perform a lot of American, uh, African-American rappers. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly there's work to be done in this country regarding racism. What advice would you give to Jews um, who want to make a difference, who want to be part of the solution, um the music, uh have you found your rapping, your music a, a bridge? Because there have been divisions uh in, in the in the black community, in the Jewish community over the years, clearly.
2: Yeah. Um well, you know, one, I think, you know, the concept of I, I think it's interesting when you when you chat specifically in New York about black Jewish division, because a lot of it's based on like divisionism from Farrakhan. Um Mm-hmm. Um, who's wrote, written false works on the history of black and Jews, right? Um, I think what's we use our strengths to help other people, right? Or just you know, for myself, I can speak for myself. Like if I see a black business or black artist that I work with, I want to support and buy their merchandise. And just like Jewish people, like I have the ex- I have the experience, and this is, and I'm sure you have the experience too. And it says I want to support you just because you're Jewish. Now I want you to support me because you so like because I'm good because you like it, my work, yeah. right. right? Just to reason other people do it, and and I say you know what do you like? I uh, you know, and the only people that have that experience are Jews. It really doesn't exist in any other market where everyone's like you know it's a new concept to to black businesses, black owned, support by black, black banking. You know, Killer Mike has something with that, and like. Um, who's an amazing artist that I think you know is is really should people should check out. Um, but like that's that's the biggest thing. And I talked to my best friend, like, and he was just like, yo, he's like, that's like, that's huge. Like, you're hey, like Jewish people are here, we support you. Like, you know, just like when BDS comes in, we start going to Israeli supermarkets and we're
1: like, Yeah, we're buying stuff, we're buying stuff, we're buying stuff. You know, and- it's it's funny if you remember me jumping in. I, I struggle mm-hmm. with that because on one hand, I love that. I love when Jews buy you know, oh, you know, it's from Israel. Let me buy it. You know, and and if we can, exp- and if that happens in the black community or Jews do that, great. On the other hand, some people find it patronizing. They're like, I should only like them because of the color of their skin. Shouldn't I be attracted to the music if I like the music? Shouldn't I use him as a lawyer if he's a good lawyer? I'll use him as a doctor if he's good. And and by just supporting a black person because he's black, it's saying, I, it, it's saying that what's attracting is the is the color, not the quality. And, and that's exactly what the you know the civil rights movement was fighting against I mean I'm playing devil's advocate look as I struggle right. with this
2: but. right no I mean I think it's the context right it's like how could you like you create opera we like we create opportunities for each other like there was an event I did in the summer you know I'm part of something called ROI with the Schusterman initiative as part mm-hmm. of this thing and um, you know they help fund like ideas it's like this you know philanthropist organization out of Oklahoma and and Jerusalem and you know, after George Floyd was killed, um, there was something we did. I have an event at South by Southwest, a music festival called Oy Vey. It was featured in Variety Magazine as one of the top showcases. I've been doing it for years. The same concept I do is bringing Israeli artists, Black artists, indie artists, every artist together. We did Solvey, basically same concept. I hired all my artists, all my friends that I perform with all the time are Black. And I'm like, listen, guys, I got a grant. This is what we need to do. This is what people want. People want unity right. by any means right. necessary. I think a rabbi told me this, if I'm not mistaken, they first wished for your financial success so you could have emotional relief and then spiritual like fulfillment because like the physical is taken care of. Sure. sure. Could, you know what I'm saying? And if someone's thinking yeah, yeah. about money, they don't care like Jews will. I'm just saying this is in my experience, is that people will first. When Jews and money, it's it's there's a it's like our most common trope, right? That people okay. think that we have all the money. So it's just like it just kills all that noise that they think we're yeah. the conspiring together. And when I say they, I mean people that just point a finger, could be any color on, on literally someone having a bad day and it'd be okay. For me, as I talk to my friend, it's just one thing that it's just one thing, it's just a small thing that we could do. And if you see somebody on the street that's asking. For money that you don't write them off, specific, especially if other people are watching and it's a black person and it's a Jewish guy that's visibly Jewish and there's people filming on the trains or whatever, you're always giving. To, one is just always being kind. And okay. I being kind and being out and creating opportunities for that, I think that's just my experience. It's like, because no one's creating opportunities within their own communities, but the Jewish people, we've had a structure that has been coming from. At least one generation deep, right? Like my parents had nothing, but now I have, and then our kids will. My kids.
1: No, I think that's a very positive, empowering message. What went through your mind? Uh, I want to go back a little, if you don't mind, when you were in jail, Mm -hmm. and and how were you able to beat drug addiction when so many people are unable to? You mentioned you said you were sober, I think for like sixteen years or now. Yeah. Um, You know, maybe if you can speak to that a little, that could be helpful for a lot of our listeners.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, first off, you know, um, one, thank you for asking me about this because it, it's, it's, uh, sometimes people think of me as just like this a rap art, like as I might rap about things that are like not deep, but like my life is kind of deep. And I use lighthearted things to think about to, to get through my dark stuff. <laughs> the concept of me, uh, like a week before I got arrested, um, this is in 2004. I thought to myself, like, I mean, I was up for like two days with my friend on, you know, who we you're high. And I thought, I was like, all right, I need to either get arrested or I need to go like, I need to get arrested. I need to go back to like meetings or get arrested. the meetings, I mean, trust at meetings. Um, and I got set up in like this operation where, you know, police chased me. and I was on campus and stuff. It was a whole big thing. I was running from the police. I got tackled. And um, I still had like a large amount of drugs in me and I was in handcuffs and they didn't search me because I had thrown other bags. So they went one way and I managed to get it out of my pocket. I'm not going to say what it was, specifically, mm-hmm. but like whatever it was, I was already did time. I just came from the probation office. So I was serving out on a four year sentence on probation. So I'm going to go away for at least another two years. Um, and whatever the, I was set up so and I was on the campus, which makes it like, it could be a second oh, degree. Oh So the fact that I got it out of my pocket, it had dropped in front of a bunch of people and it never came up on my discovery on, on the charges that were I was charged against to have like six. I thought that was like a sign from God. And I literally like, I have no concept of God or whatever. And I thought, okay, like, this is it. That was my answer and then that was it. And then you see, I mean, I obviously go to 12 step meetings and I'm part of like well, a sign from God
1: that what that he was giving you I was cha- giving an extra chance, yeah. a chance that you wouldn't spend as much time in jail as otherwise.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, seven months later, I, you know, I was like an impatience in jail and, and three quarter houses and, and, you know, a halfway workhouse. Like it just went, I went through all the system on my own finance. Right. Because back then rehab was way cheaper than it is now. It's like ten thousand a month now. It's like thirty thousand, and um, yeah, I just I felt like that was it, and I was completely ready to to stop. And I and that was you know.
1: And what, was, got, and what got you to that place? Because it sounded like you really wanted to make a change in your life. Um, was there something that inspired you? Or you were just like sick of the alternative.
2: Yeah. The, I mean, the alternative is that like when you, uh, the people won't, people won't change. And I'll say for me, I wouldn't change until the pain is great enough. So for instance, if you, you know, try to go, um, on a diet and you keep eating, you're gaining weight and, you know, and you're just like, you know what i I need help. You know, I need, I need some, I need something to step in. It's like, you know, now there's a trainer now you, now like you don't even touch food. And I don't even get and you know what I'm saying? So it's the same yeah. it was like, I can't do this by myself. I give people a lot of credit trying to do it by themselves, like or not by themselves, but not even being locked away in a bro and that's the only way I could do it, you know. Back then for no phone, no nothing, no, you know, so there's no contact with the outside world. And I think for many people, it's really difficult because I either they say there's like jails, institutions, and death. So I had jails institutions, and the next thing is gonna be death. So if I had a heart attack, something I thought was gonna
1: die. I had many nights like that. So I felt wow. Like, wow. And, and and um your parents, um, they've been supportive your rapping. Um I mean, I've been full time rap since like 2010,
2: 2011. I moved to LA. I mean, I haven't had I mean that that's I would say that was hundred percent full time. And then I had some big hits along the way that really helped me financially just set the tone of like, kind of understanding how much money I would make per year. Mm-hmm. Um, Give yep. or take, I might make more, make them less. And yes, yeah, it's just kind of been my job, you know, <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> Parents like that A little stability it doesn't hurt anyone.
2: Well, yeah. And then the next thing you know, they're like, like now it's, me doing stuff outside of rap is more my own interests of like, you know, investments and something like you you, know, you have this money that you make from your job and then you, whatever job this is, and you just put
1: it in other things, try some new stuff, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I have one last question and I think you're supposed to then turn the tables on me here, but um, you recently bought some Holocaust survivors to speak on Clubhouse. Tell us, which I thought was incredible. Tell, tell us why that was important to you.
2: Um, yeah, I, uh, I would say that I've, I went to the concentration camps in maybe 2015 with my, with my mom and and my great aunt, Mm -hmm. um, her mother's sister. And we went to Poland, we played, you know, and, and I, I was inspired to write this song there called, um, um, so many people, and then I shot a music video there, and then I did the, the TED talk that we did. I did it in Krakow, and wow. I wrote my I wrote a bike called Ride for the Living from the JCC, like with the with JCC Krakow. Shout out Jonathan Ornstein, um, who's a New Yorker who runs it over there, and we rode our bikes from Auschwitz to Krakow. Um, I've since then like so really obsessed with Holocaust culture, Holocaust survivors meeting survivors speaking with survivors so we brought this guy Sammy steigman on and um we had you know as the first time up to 1200 people in the room the owners of clubhouse we had 3700 people the next time at, wow wow up to 15000 maybe 20000 um and we had a big article in NBC news uh me and Adam swig from Value Culture did it in, in conjunction it's a it's a nonprofit in the bay and um we were just like, we need to do this because this app is filled with how to make, you know, money, how to get a record deal, how to invest in crypto, how to how to sell an NFT. It's just like you know, shoot your shot, single edition, whatever, you know, whatever. Right. So we're like, we need something different, you know?
0: Right.
2: Right. Everyone stop what they're doing and we're going to bring some, you know, real stuff here. And people don't they don't have um, the experience. Like people have never. We're, we're Jewish, so we have we've met many Holocaust survivors, or at least a few. And many people have never had that opportunity. And we have a diverse group. That we had Lupe Fiasco in there. We had Fab Fife We have you know celebrity rappers that were coming to meet Holocaust survivors and to chat with them.
1: And I think that's a really beautiful thing. It's Really beautiful. It's so important now. Also, I think the average age. I just had the honor of uh, interviewing. 91 uh, year old Holocaust. The average age is like 87, 88 now. So we we got to get it in. Got to hear as much as we possibly can while we still yeah. have them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's incredible. By the way, before you ask any questions, if you are interested in just rapping out, doing anything, this is a totally open conversation. Do you yeah. feel like it. I love your stuff and um, show you know whatever? No, no pressure. Uh, you know. Yeah. Let's let me do one real quick. Here. Um, all right, ready? Um, all right. Wait. What should I rap about? Oh, wow. I can really, um, suggestion about Israel. We just celebrated Yom HaTzema'ut. Okay.
2: Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I rock off my dome and I feel all my hope for the seventy-three years of Yom Hatsma'o. And my freestyle style is never taking a pile of heavyweight lifting with Rabbi Mark Wild. And you know I'm <laughs> on the upper west side. And the plan is to meet him for burgers at the new Amsterdam. Nice on the block when it's nice on Shabbat, kinda hot. If the blue and white flag gonna pop, some say it's on the top of zones. Before that day we had Yom Hazi Karon. And Yom Hasoah, that's the nice for the show uh other people now. You know they have to show up for our French girl over by the embassy today. They remember me. It's all heresy because they never treat Jews the way that we need to. And people say, is that the truth? I don't believe you, but it really is. Trying to mind on my biz, elevate all the kids to straight. this. Cool, cool. The deep ox yeah. ice on the rip. <laughs> Shout out to the rabbi. He's going to kill it. Hey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Hey. you just come up with that? You literally just came up with that right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What is, can I just, I'm so curious because it's like, it's just another language. It's just
2: another language. just like any other language that you practice speaking and you're, you know, you're fluent in on some level, you know, because
1: you know, the new, I'm just, you know, I'm you got the new end stand burger and just a couple of things that literally just, you didn't know about 10 minutes ago. So <laughs> uh, that's just impressive. That's really, you know, I met somebody the other day who, uh,
2: man, he was like, this is, he's like studying engineering robotics. And uh, another guy was a tattoo artist. And another girl who um does um she designs bags for like Alexander Wang and like mm-hmm. crazy, like just crazy, like she showed the handbag, and they're like, No, but you're talented. And I'm like, No, no, no. You can do tattoos. Like you just tattoo. It's like, ah, it's just tattoos. And the other person's like, Yeah, it's just a bag, you know? And so everyone has their language that they speak. Everyone
1: has their language. I mean I think it's I think it's a God give it. it very hard for me to, you know, I have certain fans, certain musical fans, and I'm, I'm just convinced that they're gifts, they're gifts from on high. I mean, you can cultivate it, you can develop it. I have a son who's a musician, but I watched him develop very naturally. Yeah, he took some lessons here and there, but it was very much organically developed from some other place. I'm really convinced of it. Man,
2: yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's, I think it's a. Uh... An interesting time to to showcase our, you know, for instance, I I think um now I was just looking through the questions. A lot of I guess we're speaking I, I saw some of them were like about dating or people like, is that what you do for a job? And people it's very interesting because people don't know I'm like the only one who does what I do. So this is uh it's it's interesting to other people. I mean, but but what you do is very interesting to me. It's like how to Rabbis do rabbi stuff and consistently, <laughs> you know, rabbinicaling all day. You know what I mean? You're like, there's marriages, there's you know, all kind of stuff yeah. you guys do. And I'm like, how how does he do that? You know, you have to study your whole life for. It. I've been, I've been also doing it my whole life. You know, since, yeah, yeah, for over 20 years. So, um, so I get to ask you some questions now. Let's go. Um. What is the hardest thing that you have seen
1: as a, as a rabbi? Like, how long have you been doing it for? By the way, that's a great question. MGE, twenty two years, and I became. I was practicing for about four or five years beforehand. So right. it's been a while. It's been over twenty five years. What's
2: the hardest thing you've seen as you know a rabbi? <laughs> like, what's one of the hardest calls that you get?
1: <sighs> Illness, suffering, death. It's just. My mother passed 25 years ago, and uh, I know I'm supposed to separate, and I'm supposed to be professional, but I, I go right back there, and that's hard. And uh, I, um, I'm good at it, in a sense, because I can really feel for people. And uh, I, think, I think rabbis who have been blessed not to go through that kind of pain themselves um, you know, won't be able to be as empathetic. So on one hand, I feel like I'm better at it. (laughs) Like I can, I can feel other people's pain and and they can see that and they can feel that comfort from me. Um, but it takes a big toll on me. It takes a toll on me and it's, it's hard. I I have a very hard time. I really feel for other people and I have a very hard time making, you know, that separation that a good therapist or good rabbi is supposed to make to maintain their own sanity. Um, I'm not so good at that. So, um, so for instance,
2: just to jump in, you could get a call about somebody's mother who passed away suddenly at the age of 65, Maybe yeah. like young, right? And is the first thing that you think of, You like, think back to your mother and you're like, I didn't,
1: I didn't wake up. I didn't want to deal with this today, but you do. Yeah. 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 I think, I think back to her, I think I try to keep it positive and try to think back at the things that help me get through, help me keep my faith, help me somehow grow. I'm a big believer just philosophically, spiritually, that these things happen to enable us to grow. Now, if somebody had said to me at the time, you know, Mark, you're going, your mother has cancer, and she's going through this terrible suffering, so you could grow, or she could grow, I would have smacked them across the face. I would have been very—so I would never say that to the person, but I know, I believe that's why it is happening— so the question is how do you help that person first of all just maintain sanity that's a b somehow learn and grow from the situation Um, because i'm a big believer there's a lot of jewish teachings um that uh by the way in hebrew is nisayon you know this uh from the hebrew word nes, which is a miracle because a miracle basically is something that you never thought was possible and challenges and unfortunate situations in life enable us to grow in a way that we never thought w- would be possible and but you can't really tell that to the person while they're going through the suffering you just need to just hold their hand and listen to be a good listener um but the a good rabbi will be able to somehow help the person not only get through it but somehow become better because of it do you feel
2: um here i'm gonna i saw some questions about dating and stuff and i'm sure like this is like and i feel like this is the thing because i'm 39 and i just got back into dating i was like off all the apps and stuff mm-hmm. do like do you sometimes like do you feel like people are like always pushing to make a match and then you're like, well, what happens, what happens if it's bad? Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> you're like looking, everyone's like, oh, we got to get him married or someone comes, right. like, You oh, got to get this guy married. And you're looking at him like, yo, this guy's a mess. He needs to go get help. He doesn't need to get married. You know? Yeah.
1: So it's like, you know, rabbis are notorious for this. It's a great question. Um, you know, we see a guy like you, a nice looking guy, 39 years old. Oh my God. There's so many great women out for you. Let's just get this guy married. But let's say you're going through something. It's a great question. And you need to really deal with your inner demons. But. You know, there's an expression, ain't let our self. there's no end to that. No one is ever fully developed. So at what point do you say, you're developed enough to share your life with another person? Yeah. Or are you too much of a mess <laughs> that you're just going to bring someone else so down? Yeah. So you got to have to be able to tell. Um, so I, I think rabbis maybe sometimes lean a little too more on the, eh, just get married, everything will work out. And I will tell you that's foolish, okay, because... Life is not that simple, and you do have to have some of your stuff worked out. But I feel a lot of people do go to the other extreme too much. Rabbi, I'm not making enough money. When I, when I get so- solidified in my job, then I'll start dating seriously. And I respect that. I get that. I was raised also in that kind of family to be a good provider. But a lot of people who come to MGE, a lot of guys, I've said, you know what? You've been struggling at your livelihood for years. Maybe it's because you're going at it alone. Maybe if you had... Someone you loved, and who loved you, and who was supporting you unconditionally—you'd be more successful in the in, in the financial world or in music, whatever it is you're doing professionally. So uh-huh. it's a little—it's a little of a catch twenty-two. So um, I, I do encourage people, even if they don't feel financially ready, because what keeps some people from being financially successful is having a partner, and and I think it's okay to to look for someone as a support, right.
2: I am. What do you think? I'm sure you're watching, um, you know, uh, like I'm sure you seem to be up to date on pop culture, like shows like Unorthodox and Stiesel. Mm -hmm. I think that portrays Orthodox Jewry in comparison, because because obviously, like, let's say, you know, people walk down the street, they wouldn't be able to. I mean, obviously, because you don't have a full beard and 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 and, pay us they might not be able to, but I'm sure you think like, Oh, this is, uh, this is right. This is wrong. I mean, how do you feel, how do you feel about the way stuff is certain, certainly portrayed in the Orthodox?
1: So I, I happen to, you know, there's good and bad. I happen to really love Stissel and I'll, I'll tell you why I, I was watching with my wife the other night and it's like, um, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a Jewish soap opera for <laughs> you know, for that's really what it is. But there's so much truth to that because just because somebody is orthodox or super ultra-orthodox, uh, of course there are dramatic differences and changes in their life, but they also have breakups, they also have deaths, people also get cancer, and that's the real stuff everybody is dealing with. And I love that because I feel that people who are watching it will get two things. They'll get number one, they'll, they'll feel that sense of like, yeah, I have that too. And now I get to see how an or- ultra-orthodox Jew reacts to that situation. Maybe they like it, maybe they don't, but it humanizes and it makes us, you know, understand and appreciate each other. Um, I haven't really seen admittedly unorthodox. Um, I've heard that it gives a little of a harsher portrayal of the orthodox. I haven't seen it, so I don't want to make too many comments about it, but I just think that portraying, uh, others as accurately as possible is just letting regular lives without an ax to grind. And I was nervous because the actors in Stissel are not observant Jews, and there's a lot of anti-Orthodox sentiment in Israel, particularly coming from the left. But I'm actually extremely impressed with um, w- with w- with the portrayal. Um, and I actually I had the opportunity of actually marrying one of the uh, actors in um, in Stissel, the young woman who marries Kivi. Uh, he, he they broke up. She cried. I don't know if you remember that episode. She cried a lot, and he just said, "Fine, I'll marry you." A very beautiful young woman. She um, needed a rabbi in New York City with uh, her Israeli boyfriend to to do the wedding, and I was I was there. So, um, amazing, and she yeah, a lovely, lovely young woman, very much removed from Judaism. And I find it so fascinating. She did such a good job portraying somebody so religious, oh, even she's so, she, she yeah, she's so. Well, I
2: the one thing I, I think that's great about that is that there you have, you know, Israel like Shisos the Orthodox speaking, you know, Hebrew. And um, you know, like yeah. I like uh Yeah, a lot of Yiddish thrown in and Yeah, know. but I, I think that obviously like makes it was make it really made it really awesome. I mean I'm I'm on the third season now and I love it and I love speaking. Mm-hmm. I was living in Israel last year and during the pandemic I came back and Matt I don't know. I really love the show, love sheerhouse, but um okay, but besides film, okay, so here's another question I have. Um, what is the most common question that you get in in regards to like intermarriages? Um I'm a, oh, I'm, a I'm a co I'm a Cohen, right? Mm-hmm. So I've dealt a lot with like, oh my like and I'm not even Shomer Shabbat, but I'm pretty like I'm pretty Jewish. I mean mm-hmm. I, people mm-hmm. say I have all the people, like I said, that know me as Koshy Dills would be like, oh, that's Koshy Dills. He's like really Jewish. You know, the <laughs> I just shot a music video the other day. I was outside like Gottlieb's in, in Williamsburg and like a red tuxedo. Like um, <laughs> you guys don't know, it's like a really right. orthodox hangout uh, diner. I mean, with all Sommers, Yiddish,
1: everything. Uh, uh.
2: Uh, but, I mean, I, this is a question and it's something I always dealt with because I was dating people that were like not, you know, father's jewish you know one's jewish not it's just you know who's this uh virgins um cohen's um conversions this is all yeah. coming up. i know you get all the questions
1: uh no it's a big one this is this is a really big important big question. question it's a big question i actually just taught a class last night i'm doing a class on the jewish life cycle so we talked about conversions and i said there's a lot of misperception people think that judaism doesn't want conversions Because what happens when you start dating someone who's not Jewish, and then they want to convert? So people are skeptical, and I understand that. But we actually do want people—it's considered one of the 613 mitzvot to convert somebody to Judaism. It's considered a mitzvah, actually. The only reason why people think we don't want converts is because we want sincere, genuine converts. Now that doesn't mean just because somebody's coming into it for marriage purposes that you can't end up with someone who is going to be sincere and genuine. I've found, I've been doing this for 25 years, some of the most extraordinary Jews that I've ever met are converts to Judaism, people I've helped walk through this whole process, who came into this situation because they were in love with a Jewish guy or gal. Um, But they were able to find beauty in Judaism for themselves. And I always say to the person, I literally just said it to somebody this past weekend, showed up at MJE wants to convert, and I know who she's dating. And I said, listen, happy to help you. You better make sure you're doing this for you. This is not like rolling the toothpaste tube versus squeezing it where like you can kind of compromise. The guy likes to roll it. The girl likes to squeeze it, figure out a way to. This is a little more serious than that. This is about keeping Shabbat. This is about keeping kosher. This is how you're going to raise your kids. You're going to spend $25,000 a year on day school tuition every year for each kid. I, I don't know you, if
2: I am, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but okay. I encourage it. Yeah, I know because it's. But it's interesting because I I'm pretty Jewish, but I went to public school. But
1: right, I would have been different if I went to Jewish school. Totally, you would have. And and but listen, never too late. Rabbi Akiva was forty. You already got a year on Rabbi Akiva, my friend. Yeah, and I got all the hook, I got all the hookups. You know, people won't yeah. make you know? Oh my god! Yeah, you're hanging out at gott leaves. You got a lot. <laughs> yeah. But but you know, to answer your question, like. We want Jewish continuity. We want Jews to marry Jews so that we can pass this thing on. It doesn't really work if you're marrying someone outside of the faith. I'm just saying all the studies and all the statistics are pretty clear. If you marry someone of the same faith, the likelihood of your kids carrying this on is like 20 times. And and if you don't, but again, conversion is a route as long as it's taken seriously. Cool.
2: Now for uh, I'm sure tell us tell us about your dealings with Cohen's.
1: I uh <laughs> by the way can I ask you a question what are you looking for? Me? Yeah, what do you in a, in a in a woman? What what's uh uh, uh mother's jewish,
2: right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Uh, that's my basics. Um <laughs> I don't want any like alcoholics or you know addicts. Obviously it's really Sure. And uh, someone who works hard and obviously like is, the uh, you know, my number one fan, you know, for all, everything outside of music, you know. Um, Beautiful. You yeah. know, you know what they and say. I people that speak other languages, too, because I grew up with Hebrew. I speak Hebrew, Spanish, English. So I'm looking, you know, and I'm dating. I just started dating again. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never even, I don't think I've ever properly dated because as a musician, you're traveling, you just meet people, hang out, and then you're like, I was on the road. So the pandemic has put me in one place. So that's it, you know, it's really interesting. But um, I recently met some, I mean, I'm meeting all kinds of people, but I'm meeting people and it's my first time I'm like authentically dating and I'm I'm an orthodox approach where I'm almost like, not doing anything more except seeing people really, you know that's great
1: time. that's great. if I could be of any help i'm here mGE boasts three hundred and twenty three couples, not that we're who have met and married through m g not that we're counting <laughs> well three
2: twenty three well i it, it's just I'm trying to be open and and uh, I, I realize that you know um, and I'm sure many people are like this, you know de- depending on their actions. I thought to myself, wow, if I don't do work on myself and I've been like, so I do a lot of work on myself and I've been therapy, et cetera. And I'm like, you know, I I, I consider myself a pretty deep being from what I've been through to where I am now, but I could, could see like, you know, I was like, well, wow, I could have been together with someone at 29 or thirties and 39. I'm like, I don't want to be single at 49. I want to have kids, you know, within yep, yep. a very few years. So, um, cause I need a couple of little kosher deals, you know, sell stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, um, love it. What do you feel is the thing when you deal with people that are in their late thirties, forties that are single. Is that an issue for you? And I know you're like marry them. Yeah. When is it like you're like, listen, dude, marry anybody? Come on. Come
1: on <laughs> I, come on, I listen, never. <laughs> come on, give me anything. I'm dying out here. <laughs> A pulse, a pulse, a, a pulse, a, a Jewish mother in a pulse. I mean, look, I you can't ever tell anyone, no matter what the age marry anyone. Um, I will say that it gets very challenging, and it is one of the more painful aspects of my work. Uh, I have a lot of very close friends who are single in their 30s, 40s. Um, and I always tell them the same thing. It is never too late. Do you know that the Baba Babasali, I'm just going to sound ridiculous, one of the great Kabbalists of our generation, his wife passed away. He was like in his late 80s. He remarried. And he quoted the verse from the Torah. That lo heyot adam levado, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not just talking about someone in their 20s or 30s. It's talking about, it's a, it's a categorical existential statement about human uh, existence. We, we were not meant to, to be Aristotle. I mean, from the great Greek philosophers, we, we are social animals. It's not healthy. COVID has demonstrated this. It's not good to be alone. And at the, now, there is something worse than being alone. And a lot of people have learned this the hard way, and that is being in the prolonged relationship, which is why the Torah Mm. does permit a get. The Torah Torah does permit a divorce. So what I tell people is as we're getting older, the list gets longer. We become more understanding of the complexity of who we are, and sometimes becomes more challenging to reduce the lists down to the basics. So I'll tell you three things. I heard this in the name of Rav Shechter, one of the great rabbis of Yeshiva University. Three things. Me Midot, good uh, personality traits, specifically kindness, kind and open heart, mm. number, number one. That's number one. It makes my heart warm. Oh, Here's number one. So I, I can't. Number two is um, physical attraction. You need physical, but within reason, you know, and I think the media has done a, a number on us because, yeah. you know, phys, uh, physical attraction is a very tricky thing. And that just because we say you should be physically attracted doesn't mean the perfect, the other individual has to be perfect. And and that people fight and struggle with that a lot. Um, the third thing is shared values. And again, shared values doesn't have to be exactly. My wife and I have shared values, but we have we disagree on certain things, and our kids know it, and that's okay. You negotiate, but basic values. We want to make a Jewish home. We want to, you know, we. I don't love that Republicans and Democrats are not dating each other, liberals, conservatives. I think it's nonsense. I think people should be getting together. Um, but if you're so on the left or you're so on the right, it's gonna be hard to get it to that, you know, to cover that kind of gap. So those are three. Um good personal you know, personality traits, specifically kindness, um, physical attraction and shared values. And you know, shared values is where the Judaism and all that stuff comes in, I think. That's cool. It's it's good to know. Um What what do you think
2: is like, um, well, I guess that was such a big a big thing is and what's the main what's the, the main point of I know you guys have got boasted so many couples, but when you started MJE, right, like you're like, all right, this is what I want this thing to do um where did you feel like you were like a renegade rabbi and you're like no one's gonna hire me at their congregation (laughs) i
0: don't need a record i
1: don't need a publisher i'll write my own book yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, i understand um so i actually came the other way i first of all was a lawyer for a little while i practiced as an attorney um and when i came into the rabbinate i was working for synagogues um the problem I had was I, didn't, I don't think I was servicing the right population. I didn't like preaching in front of the choir. And the synagogues that I was working at were all preaching in front of the choir. I was like 80% of our brothers and sisters are either unaffiliated or they've got some hang-up about Judaism. And you know what? They're not in this room. They don't belong to the synagogue. And I, and I worked for some great rabbis. I worked in Queens, where I'm from, uh, in Forest Hills for a couple of years. I worked on the Upper East Side. Uh, at a synagogue and I worked on the west side of synagogue but again the people I wanted to talk to were not in the room I wanted to talk to people that didn't care so in order to do that I would either have to work for some other outreach organization and I didn't love what was out there at the time so I started my own and I it was a little it gave me a little angst because I'm not a huge confident kind of guy and I was 29 30 years old at the time and I just said you know what I'm going to give it a year and if I can't pull out of the woodwork some of the young Jews living in Manhattan who the other places weren't getting, then I'll fold up. And I got some money. I was able to raise a few dollars, and I it, it just took off. And we started getting a lot of people, thankfully, 20s, 30s, um, mostly conservative reform, unaffiliated, who were curious about their Judaism but never really gave it a shot. Mm. And their their exposures were just very – I always felt bad, and I still do, for like, I grew up in a very robust Jewish community with a lot of teachers and learning and vibrancy and music, and it was just a big part of my childhood. I loved it. And most Jews don't grow up like that. Most Jews go synagogue once or twice a year, and it's lame. And the rabbis never really answered their questions.
2: I, I want to let you know, I never go to synagogue. I always come for Shabbat dinners, but I rather <laughs> go to uh, 40 Shabbat dinners than you know, <laughs> Well, know. you got it. You got it. Like, dude, you got to check it out. You got to, you know. Well, no, I go to shul. I'm saying sometimes, but
1: to me, that is shul. It's like going to be with Jews. and Right. That's part of it. And by the way, and that's why COVID has been so rough, because COVID basically knocked that whole aspect of it mm-hmm. out. Yeah. It, and basically just knocked it down to the to the actual prayers. Mm-hmm. Which are important, of course, but it's not the whole experience. Right. Um, last thing I wanted to ask you was we talked about,
2: you know, how Jews could help elevate black communities, yep. um, especially just like that. We're just trying to, you know, we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of, of Crown Heights riots, um, um, which, you know, definitely is still relevant into the streets of people that are still living in Crown Heights, you know, um, and just because there are people from outside New York watching that also feel this. And we had, you know, Muncie and we had Jersey City, um, you know, yeah. last, last year, th- those attacks. How do we destroy the, the racism and bigotry within our own community, of the Jewish community, um, whether this is with Black people, Asian people, Indian people, uh, Sephardic Jews, Mizrahi, you know what I'm saying, Ashkenazi Jews. And yeah into that what do you think like how do you address that within your own organization what what programs are you doing that that are like lifting that up because i think that's really
1: appealing it's a a really good question and admittedly i will say we're not doing all that much we're not Um, i think we need to have more conversations i had like two panels on my podcast um i got to actually um uh, interview eric adams who's running for mayor now who I really respect. I'm not saying, MJ doesn't do politics. I try to stay away from it. But I I really like him because when when, when we had that conversation, he said to me that he had PTSD when he saw police officers as a kid. But he said, I could be another angry young black man or I could get in the system and try to change it from within. And he became a cop and he was a police officer for over 20 years. So I think hearing people like that we in the jewish community especially in the orthodox community we don't have enough interactions with people um of of other races and colors and we just don't we don't come into contact enough you send your kids to day school they're surrounded by other jewish kids even in new york city so i think the more experiences we have where we just get to talk and hang out with people that are not like ourselves by the way that's not to say you shouldn't send your kids to day school hundred percent. I'm going to say it again. I said it to (laughs) you before. Send your kids to day schools, but do what I try doing, which is getting your kids to be friends with African-Americans in the neighborhood, with Latinos in the neighborhood. My my kids, my, my oldest son who I mentioned is a musician. He joined this incredible gym in the South Bronx. He was one of the only white kids on the court. And that was one of the most important experiences he had in his life. He was there for years because he was crazy about basketball and He was a very good baller, and that was just it. it just he learned much more than he'll ever learn listening to a podcast because he right. he met people. So I think the more we get out there and the more we meet. So I would like to do. If you have any suggestions, by yeah, the way, I think you I'm
2: should sure. do when you get a chance to do. You know, mix Shabbat. I even had one at my my place with just a few people that had saw the blackface incidents in Williamsburg on forum. I don't know if you heard about that. It was all over media and social yeah, media. Yeah. And um, yeah, we we're like, let's let's start fostering these conversations. So I had Motel, um, Rabbi Mordecai Lightstone on the live stream, and, so, and you know, this is like I'm in the street with people, you know, that are at Black Lives Matter protests and all protests. Um, speaking of, I'm actually about to go to the protest at the French embassy right now. Oh, wow. um, for the woman that was yes, um, you know, that got no justice in France for being killed, and you know, and I want to show that to the world too, you know, but I think at least at your place, I think it's cool enough where you, you know, I can help. I'll help bring people. Yeah. Want. You
1: know what? If you know, I'm not so, pl- I have to tell you, I'm not so plugged in. I'm not nearly as plugged in as I should be. So if you can introduce me and you think somebody will be a good guest on this podcast, or they can come and speak at MG. We're starting to do more in person. Yeah. Things,
2: you know? I'd love to come too. You know, as you know, I'm a fan. I, I want to come and uh speak and and tell my story in person when when that opportunity arises during this pandemic and
1: and and, t- and before you go tell us a little just because not everyone knows i know you're upset about the french high court's recent choice in relation relation to the killer what was her name sarah halimi the sarah french- Halimi. yep sarah halimi i mean this is it is a travesty of justice so you're going to a protest now
2: yeah yeah it's at the french embassy i think on fifth ave um by like 70th and something um and uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I go to all the, I go to protests that I believe in, you know? So I've been to Black Lives Matter protests, yeah. stop Asian hate, of course I'm going to the Jewish one. So I, I'm, you know what I'm saying? That's just something I have to show up for. And um, and because there's a lot of people that don't know about it because people that aren't Jewish, I mean, this is a thing that's a consistent thing within, within you know, more um, central and left world, you know, Zionism is that like, we are not included in other people's activism. This is a big thing. A lot of Jewish people I know. I don't want to go to Black Lives Matter protests because of their stance on Israel. You know, which right. not even people there would know. Um, it's only what, something as Jews. It's something that first we always first look at, right? Right. And I was there when it started in L.A. And the first thing I was looking for was where are the uh, you know F Israel was right? <laughs> so graffiti. Right. right. So when I'm here. Like when I and I recently went to the uh, mixed BLM uh, stop Asian hate rally. I'm waiting for them to talk about, you know, the killings in Pittsburgh. It was silent, you know, so I like to go to all of them. And I also want to be a bridge because I am a bridge. Well, music, music,
1: you you have a tremendous, uh, exactly. you have a tremendous opportunity with the work, with, with the kind of music you're rapping and your personality also got to know you this last hour much better. Yeah, You, you really should, it's a gift and you should use it to bring people together because we need it. That's it. That's 100% facts. That's what I'm going to do. That's what we're going to keep doing. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robbie, Thank you so much for coming on. I hope you'll come. If uh, you can make it Friday night, um, we'll we'll get a little rap from you. I would love it. I would All love right. it. All right. All right. So, guys, if you want to come Friday night, New uh, <laughs> yeah. Amsterdam Burger,
2: we'll, we'll be in touch. We love, we love. We'll be in touch. And uh, if anyone wants to check it out, Kosher Dills, obviously, I think this pops up. Oh yeah. Uh, kosha
1: Dills. Also check out his website, kosha dot com and his album Nobody Cares <laughs> Except You. And you can also follow Rami on Twitter at Kosha Dills. Is-
2: kosha Dills. Yeah. It's, I guess if they pop it K O S H A D I L S E it's on everything. Instagram, TikTok. Two
1: L's, two L's. That's right. Awesome, man. All right, Rabbit. Thanks so much for uh, taking it with you for the last thank time. You. Oh, that was great. Thanks so much. Thanks for asking. That was the first time we did it. It's awesome. All, all, right. all right. Take care. Have a great day.
2: Um, are we? Uh, okay.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Wildscast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wiles. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.